Hey, future homeowners. Today I'm breaking down an EYL episode called Housing Crisis. Is affordable housing a trap? Landlord versus tenants. Where can you afford to live? Always like when intelligent folks who aren't necessarily experts in the field they're talking about share their opinions on the subject because it gives you a different perspective of what may be going on in the housing market. And so they're going to talk about the changing market, rent strikes, does it make sense? Affordable housing and some solutions. Uh, let's hop into it, and I'll let you know what I think. The city of Atlanta has reported 72,600 evictions in seven months. Uh, this is already 10,000 evictions more than 2022. Mm -hmm. According to the data tracked and published by the Atlanta Federal Reserve Bank, there were 11,159 new evictions reported in June. From January to June, only about 15.5% of the evictions have proceeded. Um, so, okay. So, first and foremost, and they'll touch on it a little bit. Like, of course, there are going to be more evictions in 2023 than 2022 and 2021. There were a lot of eviction moratoriums. And they were folks that were obviously needed that because they were negatively impacted by COVID. Like they lost their job for reasons 100% outside of their control. But there were folks that just took advantage of the moratorium, right? And it was just like, hey, I still got a job. I got money, but I'm going to use your rent money, Mr. Landlord, to go on vacation. And unfortunately, a lot of those people took advantage of the situation. So the people that really needed the help are unfortunately in a bad situation. And also think about this, like the landlords are in a bad situation too because mortgage companies are not waiving the mortgage. Like sometimes they put like a pause on it, meaning that, hey, you could not pay your mortgage for like up to 12 months typically is what's called like a deferment. But at the end of that 12 months, there are two things that lenders make you do. One, some lenders make you pay the whole 12 months of rent or excuse me, mortgage back. And if you didn't get that money from the tenant, like where are you going to get it from? I mean, it's one thing for a landlord to keep like three to four months of reserves in case tenants don't play. Most landlords are not keeping 12 months of reserve. So a lot of landlords are in a very bad position. So there are also mortgage companies that did what I think was a better solution was they tacked that mortgage onto the back of your loan. So you just started from fresh. Like if you had $24,000 you owed, that $24,000 was tacked onto the back of the loan. So once, you know, month 360 hits, you owe like 24,000. Or if you sell the property, obviously they get those proceeds back during the sale of that property. So a lot of people are getting evicted in Atlanta, mm -hmm. which I would assume is an indication for the broader country worldwide, um, nationwide. So what is your thoughts about this disturbing trend? Um, the first thing I want to point out, some of these are rolling over from um, the, the period where people didn't have to pay. But if I'm going to go... There you go. Just point that out. We don't need the... the but, but yeah, it's going into my conspiracy bag. If inflation is getting higher, the job market is not coming back. I truly believe that these evictions are happening because they want their city back. And by they, you know who they is. Um, so 
I, I love Ian, you know, great mind in investing. But when I hear stuff like this, I think like, who is, who is they? Is there some great cabal of like white people that are sitting around making these plans? Like who is the actual they in this scenario? Because it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. I'm going to act like I'm Khaled. But I think maybe Atlanta for too long has been too black. And Atlanta and Georgia is normally a very friendly city when it comes to these evictions. But some going back to the pricing, some of the, the pricing in Midtown and in Buckhead is unaffordable for most people. Yep. I'm not counting the people that are ballers and have a bunch of money flowing in. Cool. But for the average person, if they want a three-bedroom, four-bedroom, the prices over the last year have increased dramatically. And, if- and honestly, this is... Buckhead, Atlanta, Dallas, LA, New York, pretty much any major city. If you want to change the demographics of a city, one of the fastest ways you can change them is by changing the price of the rental market. I think it's a mistake because if wages and income is not increasing as in fa- as fast as the rental market pricing. And yeah, they have a stat I saw was from the start of COVID to now that wages have gone up about 20%. But as far as like the housing market, the actual residential purchase market, which reflects the rental market, that's gone up 41%. So essentially double or actually double plus some. These are the kind of things that will lead to a crash or collapse. We're seeing it with Airbnb. Airbnb at one point was looked at as an affordable option to hotels. And then mm-hmm. they got super sexy and they tried to make every Airbnb Rolls Royce and the prices were too damn high. I think that's kind of a misperception. He's probably referring to a viral tweet by this guy named Nick Gurley, who I, after diving to his content, figures he posts a lot of cherry-picked uh, clickbait content as far as the housing market is going to crash. And so his data showed that the Airbnb market was down for revenue per listing 40.3%. Another guy named Jamie Lane checked him and said that, hey, um, I ran the same data that this guy posted. And it's actually down 3.6%. So it is a decline, but the difference between 3 and 40% is a huge difference. So I'll po- post both of those items up here. You can kind of dive into the content uh, as much as you want to see, you believe. But I tend to believe the guy who doesn't post a lot of housing market clickbait. But um, I think that's what Ian is referring to here. And guess what? Most Airbnb properties are not being rented out like how they were two years prior or three years prior. So if this continues for a long period of time, it can spell a lot of trouble. But the first thing. So I think it's a misperception that the Airbnb or short term rental market is so huge that it can somehow collapse the housing market. So first and foremost, like people are going to maybe try to turn them into long term rentals, right? Because there were still short properties for people to live in, whether they're actual rental properties as far as apartments or houses. I think most people will turn to short term rentals or excuse me, long-term rentals before they just somehow flood the market with these short-term rentals. And there aren't enough short-term rentals in the market really to sway things here or there. Think about the real estate markets where Airbnb and Bs have been banned. Is there a surplus of housing in those markets? The answer is no. I think I thought when when I saw this, these amount of evictions, um, they want to quietly find a way to displace some people out of the city of Atlanta. And move them out to the suburbs. That was that was great minds think alike because the first thing I thought was I'm a realtor in Dallas and would love to help you reach your goals of home ownership. So click the link in the description and just schedule a call no matter where you are on your journey. 
not in Dallas, no worries. I can help connect you with a vetted realtor in your local jurisdiction as well. And feel free to share with friends, family, and folks. Everyone gets left. Especially being here in New York, the amount of time it takes to evict somebody versus the time it takes to evict somebody in Atlanta mm -hmm. or in well, Atlanta specifically, right? So that was the first thing I thought. But the second thing is kind of like what you alluded to, right? Like the, kind of like when we first were learning about Airbnbs and how it could be super profitable, coming to a couple of the cities we were thinking about with Miami and Atlanta, yes. you know, kind of a, a crackdown on that. And so like, if you're not getting that money from Airbnb, now the person who actually has the lease has to now pay that, which could be, you know, something that they can't afford anymore, right? The other part of it was the unemployment rate. Now, when we talk about unemployment, it, this kind of leads into like what you were saying. It was like, so I want to jump into something real quick because you mentioned Miami and Atlanta. So in Miami, since the start of COVID, home prices in Miami are up 63.12%. Rents are up pretty much that pace as well. So even with this stuff going on in the markets they're talking about, home prices are still up and up. Let's see, we have Atlanta on this list. In Atlanta, home prices are up 49% since the pandemic. So that it includes them going up and coming down. So they're both up almost 50%. So that's what I talk about. Like there's going to be no crash, right? Because if you bought your home for, five, let's say um $100,000, right? If it's up 50%, now it's worth 150. So therefore the short, or excuse me, the long-term rents are up in that area too anyway. So there's no, no reason for a crash. And that's what they're talking about. Like rents are unaffordable because home prices have still gone up. So yeah, a long-term rental is less profitable than a short-term rental, but it's less hectic, and it's still going to be very profitable in those areas. What type of jobs are being offered? Absolutely. What type of jobs do are we being offered? What type of jobs do we have? Who's being laid off, and where are those laid off? Well, jobs being offered to me is neither here nor there. I mean, you can go out and like get a get a job. It's not like, I don't know, folks aren't knocking on the door and say, hey, you can only work as a, a fork forklift driver or something like that. Like you got to train yourself and take some responsibility and find jobs based on what the market needs. It's happening. So if you look at the demographics of Atlanta, right, with those specific counties that are predominantly look like us and people from our community. And so, yes, hospitality lost jobs and construction is, are we getting these jobs? And so that talks about the income that is coming in to the households of the families in Atlanta. So, there's a couple factors there, but the, the the number is extremely staggering, knowing that we're only in July and we still got, you know, five months to go in this year. Where where is this number headed? Yeah. I mean, I would say, um I said it was I said on Instagram it's a few different things. One of the things I said was uh that Georgia was a landlord friendly state mm -hmm. and a variety of different people disagreed with me on that and Said I didn't know what I was talking about. Bring the facts. Bring the facts to him. <laughs> and then um, one gentleman in particular, his name is Saint underscore Jermaine, and he said, uh, "Got the handle." Just be talking sometimes. <laughs> and um, is that getting to your skin? I like I like how you read it. Though. Like you, read, I, I would imagine that's how you said it. No, I be chatting. be chatting. I don't take anything personal. Um. Especially for somebody that I don't know, it, I, I don't. It was like one of the basketball players that go late in the draft, and they they know the name of everybody that went in front of them in the draft. 
<laughs> I think that it was um, it wasn't nice. Did, did you take it personal when he said he made us? I did. I think that was AI. I think that was gotcha. AI. The app called But um saying yeah, you know, saying I I don't I didn't think that that was too nice of, of a thing to say. No, it wasn't nice. Um but you know, obviously there's a long list of different things, but you know, just the quick overview of Atlanta is um you can be evicted for not paying rent or for failing to move out at an expiration or termination of a, of a lease. If the landlord tries to evict you for not paying rent, you have seven days to pay the rent owed, or you can legally be evicted. Whereas, whew, New York. New York's tough. A landlord must go to court, must win the case, then must pay a fee to have the law enforcement officer properly evict you. It's a whole process. So I really appreciate that breakdown because a lot of folks talk from emotion and not facts. So he literally just read what it says. That's not his opinion. Like he literally read what it says. If you somehow still think that um, Georgia is not a landlord friendly state, I guess that's your prerogative, but that's in the face of the facts. You could literally stay in, in and for two years before you go out on somebody's property in New York. Oh, for sure. sure. It's it's a whole thing. So when I'm saying that it's a landlord friendly state, is it the most landlord friendly state in America? I, I'm not sure. But when you're comparing it to states like New York, one seven days, it probably is one of the most landlord friendly. But like like he's saying, like as I always try to say to you guys and gals. Everything is all relative to where where you're at as far as, you know, what's friendly, what's not friendly. So make sure you're looking up the laws in the area or you're looking to buy a rental property, in, especially if you're looking to be like an out-of-state um, investor. You probably don't want to be out-of-state and in a state that is very tenant-friendly because your boot's not on the ground, so it's going to be a lot more stressful if you're in one of those situations. It's tremendously in favor of the landlord. Sometimes we have a we don't have a perception of things because we only look at it from our perspective. Yeah. So it's like you might just live in Georgia. Like, oh, it's not a landlord friendly state. I've been trying to get this guy out for a month. Well, talk to the landlord in New York who really has no rights at all yeah. and has to deal with a squatter that's living there and you gotta go to court and you gotta get law enforcement and you literally I think they're still with it last year. Not only are they squatting, they're damaging the property. Now you got to have rehab come in after they leave. It's a whole process. It's extremely hard to kick somebody out. Yeah. So I say that to say it's all perspective. If you don't think it's a landlord-friendly state, that's your, that's your right. But compared to a lot of other states, like New York, it's a landlord. It's a, it's a landlord friendly state. Yeah. So I think that that's definitely um, in favor of people getting evicted because you don't have to put up with it. If they're not paying that. You can just kick them out. I think it also has to do with um, the haves and have nots because rent prices are going up, and as rent goes up, it, you know, certain point in time you can't afford to pay your rent. So there are people still getting money. There are people that still stimulate in the economy, but everybody is not at that same pace. So here's the thing, like you can look at news articles every single year since I think 
probably 2012. And you'll see every single year there's a headline that says rents have hit an all-time high. It's probably multiple times a year. It's like rents hit all-time highs, rents hit all-time highs, rents hit all-time highs. Uh, I saw a stat that right now, so rents hit, I think, all-time highs like about three in June of 2022. Uh, and right now, we're only like on average $39 under that number right now. So it looks like, once again, this year we'll hit another all-time high with rent. It's almost like it happens every year. And the rent prices are, are only like skyrocketing in these in these major cities. I told you about the guy that was paying ten thousand dollars a month for one bedroom in New York. So we're gonna start seeing. This is a broader conversation where there's there's gonna be a housing crisis if if this isn't under control because everybody wants to live in, in cities or close to cities. Nobody wants to live in, in nowhere and and in farm fields and different things of nature. So everybody. You have the vast majority of people trying to live in a couple different places, right? You have like big areas where you have New York, you have LA, you have Miami, you have Atlanta, you have like, you know, 10 different major yeah, to Austin. And everybody's trying to live in, in these 300 million people. Everybody's trying to live in these different areas. Yep. Supply and demand. So they can keep those rents high because there are more people that want to live there than there are places available. Um, so there's a demand because even if, if you can't afford to live here, then somebody else can. So it doesn't even affect the landlord. Here we go. So rents in June remain just $24 below its all-time highs as of June 2023. So yeah, we're $24 under the all-time highs of last year. Because it's like, you know, for every five people that can't afford to live here, then there's 10 people that can't afford to live here. So I'm just going to keep, I'm going to keep rising. Up. Incomes have been pretty stable incomes aren't rising at the same pace of inflation yeah, so that that's a problem and then you have people that's going to start losing their jobs so losing jobs to ai losing jobs to just there's just going to be a new industries losing jobs for a variety of different reasons so what you're creating is a, is a housing um crisis and this is a broader conversation but this is an early stage of that. This is the early stage when you start to see this many evictions. This is a this is, a, this is something that's alarming, um, and you start seeing people living in in rooms, renting rooms, and living together. One thing I want to point out as well, because I know a lot of you guys are here as far as you know, hey, can I purchase a home? As of right now, we're still below pre-pandemic levels, right? So we're still below 2018, 2019 levels as far as foreclosures. Communal spaces. Um, this is something that has to be addressed. And if it doesn't have a fix to it in the next 10 to 20 years, you're going to see it's, it's going to be bad. The homeless yeah. population now, if you look, if you go to cities like LA, if you go to cities like San Francisco, the homeless population is out of control. That's going to spiral. You wouldn't even know that you was in America. And it's like, take a city like Miami. How much more can real estate go up in a short period of time before it just becomes completely unsustainable? Mm -hmm. Right? Everybody's not this. a billionaire. Everybody's not a millionaire. Some where is everybody going to live? You can only push people out to the outskirts for so far. But at a certain point, there's no more outskirts. Shout out to the Midwest. Don't y'all come there? Stop pushing them to the middle of America. I'm saying you just can't. Like that's like relocation. I'm yeah. talking about you pushing people yeah. to the outskirts. It's like, oh yeah, uh, you 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 move from. New York to Jersey, this is like, but it just keeps getting wider and wider and wider. Yeah. With they don't have anywhere to live eventually. Yeah.
I mean, we've seen that, right? Like we've seen people go from New York City, then they end up in Northern Westchester, then they end up in Poughkeepsie, then they end up in Albany, then they end up in Rock. And so they are pushing them. Well, what happens is that you, you at a certain point that you can't you can't push, push them so together. You, you start you start in Manhattan, right? You start in Lower Manhattan, then you work your way up, mm-hmm. then you in which used to be Hell's Kitchen on the upper. West Side. Now that I don't even call it Hell's Kitchen anymore. It's a whole different neighborhood. It's completely gentrified. Then you start. And so, yeah, think about the city you live in, right? So I live in Dallas. So there's the city of Dallas. And then further, you'll notice something I say specifically. I keep saying north, but north, there's a city called Plano, which is a a wealthy suburb. North of that, there's Frisco, which you may have heard of, but that's where like the Cowboys uh practice facility is that's where the pga moved their new headquarters that's where universal studios is bringing a new theme park to some fortune 500 500 companies have moved then further uh north of that is a town called prosper uh, which i think the average median income is like 160 and then they're trying to build another town about this and this is like an hour north of dallas where at this point now called salina which is like the new boom town so yeah they keep pushing the stuff out further and further but south of Dallas, uh, where basically more of the minority population lives, there's not a lot of uh, development down there. So, yeah, they keep kind of pushing, pushing, pushing to to new places and not developing other places that are like literally right outside of Dallas. But um, some of these zip codes now in the southern part of Dallas are the fastest growing zip codes currently. So those people will eventually be pushed out uh, as well, unfortunately, unless you want to buy some, buy some property. Moving to Harlem, mm-hmm. then you start calling it Northern Manhattan, mm-hmm. which is <laughs> NoHo. <laughs> <laughs> then you start moving up to Washington Heights. They got a name for that now. They trying to justify that. Really? Yeah, I forgot what they trying to call it. Trying to justify that. Then, then you go to the Bronx, SoBro. That's what they call in the South Bronx. I still haven't heard anybody say that. That's crazy. They have a name for it. Yeah, you gotta have a name for it. Before yeah, once you start hearing those names, I remember that in DC. That's when you start to see uh, the the Starbuckses and the gentrification starts to to roll in. Think about your city right there. If you see a new name, honestly, you may want to buy some some real estate there before you fully implement the plan. Got to rebrand it. Rebrand like it. Elon did with Twitter, change the X. You got to rebrand. Got to change the name. So now you go. Now you got the Bronx. Now you try. So it's like it happens, and it's just do 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 do. Before you know it. <laughs> It's a whole different city. Yeah. Dangerous. Very, very dangerous. They want their cities back. And meanwhile, they're trying to convince us that everything is fine in the economy and that the stock market is okay. And there's only like 11 stocks internationally that are doing well. That- index funds, index funds, index funds. Don't try to pick individual stocks. If, if we have to put our lives on it outside of the ones we called, are there any, Troy, you said a great one, right? You, you don't, here's the thing you don't need to do it. Uh, and Ian says this to them, uh, but um, index funds, index funds, index funds, you literally cannot go wrong. But are there like 15 stocks that we would just bet our lives on, like our life savings on? That's, no, that's there's weakness in the economy overall. And if there is not affordable housing solutions, at some point, the people are going to revolt. Yeah. They are going to revolt. Yeah. They're going to be at your door. Be careful today. Yeah. And, and the crazy part, it's only going to take maybe two months. Like the same thing with, with the music strike. And if people quit paying rent in one part of New York for three months, oh, baby, some changes will happen immediately. So I agree 100% with that. But like, how do you, how, how would that be coordinated? Right. It's just like, 
a bunch of people that have never spoken before. They're all just going to bank on the person next to them not paying rent. And how do you know that folks that may want to move into your place aren't orchestrating this to okie dokie? It's something that looks cool on paper, but it's something that's not realistic for there to be a mass rent strike. Like folks can barely organize to do basic things, let alone everyone not paying rent at the same time. And also like every landlord is not black rock, right? A lot of landlords are just average people who are getting screwed over, which is what ironically we talked about at the beginning of this episode was people not paying their rent. And that kind of pointed out it screws over hardworking landlords for the people that took advantage of the rent moratoriums during COVID. It doesn't take yeah. that much. Yeah, rent strike. They tried that before, rent strike. Yeah, it needs to happen because it's feeling like 07 all over again. I'm not going to go into it, but no, it is not like 07, 08 uh, by any stretch of the imagination. See previous content for why not. So you're for, you're, you're pro rent strike? Well, I, I, I currently don't have any tenants, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's the real answer right there. <laughs> I have to say the landlord's about to catch your neck. <laughs> I'm not pro rent strike because I feel like landlords that you, you, sh you shouldn't you don't deserve for somebody to just commit to paying you something and then not paying you. Not paying, yeah. That that's something that I don't agree with. Yeah. Um, I also think it should be affordable though. But it's all this is also important, right? It's a, from the other aspect of it. And shout out to uh, Brandon Rule, uh, alumni uh, of EYL, having developments that are built specifically to have affordable housing, right? So I know he just got a, a grant for fifty million. Do you see that? So that's very important to point out was the grant for 50 million because affordable housing is not affordable to the people that actually build the housing. So in order for these projects to actually work, the government has to actually give the builders money. Without that, there's no such thing as affordable housing. You got a $50 million grant. To, he will be at Investfest. He will be there to, to build. Um, I believe it's in Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama. He's building 122 units. Those type of very intentional and strategic uh, developments help combat that. So it's like, all right, well, this is what it's going to be based on the economy that we're building in. Mm -hmm. All right. But so when we have developers that look like us, and that's why he's a gem, you know I mean, because with the way he's able to break things down and explain it to our community, it's incredible. But we need more branding rules. That's why it's important to be in the rooms, because I'm sure there's somebody who never knew that they can actually obtain that type of professionalism and career. It's important to have him because you can make these systemic changes, right? When we're looking for affordable housing and having our, our people's uh, intentions at the front of, of the discussion, we can be in the room and, and, and making sure that development happens in a way that benefits everybody. So it's important to have that. So shout out to him. I just wanted to mention that. And affordable housing is important, but that's kind of like a Band-Aid because it's like it, it's not it's not it's not a solution. It's not a, it's not a long term solution. What's, Where? What, what's the long term solution is getting people to make more money. Absolutely. Like, toward it. So it's like. So I'm going to let him finish. Honestly, but I'm not sure if that is the solution, because that's kind of like where we're at with inflation. Right. The more that folks make, the more they're going to spend. So let's say everybody's salary went up a thousand dollars a month. Well, they're going to spend more. Not everybody's just going to save that and tuck it away. They're going to spend more. And therefore, now more people can afford, let's say, like a four thousand dollar or three thousand dollar 
place to rent now. So it just decreases the demand at the top of the, the chain. So I don't really think folks making more money will solve the problem. Um, but I'm not even sure what the solution is, because I guess it's better than better than nothing as far as solution. But um, yeah, I guess I'll let uh, Rashad finish while I formulate my thoughts more. Just giving people affordable housing and putting them in situations where they can live is beneficial because people do need somewhere to live. Yeah. But they're still ultimately, then they're, they're still not making enough to even live there. So you're just you're still struggling. You might have a nice apartment, but that doesn't solve your problem. What happens in the time that you're there, right? So that could be the thing, right? Like if I don't have to worry about with the roof over my head, right? Now I have a mindset where I have a freedom to actually think. I have freedom to now create. I have a, almost a sense of peace of mind, knowing that I can at least afford to live. That basic need is taken care of. Can I be innovative inside that time while I'm here? Yeah, it doesn't happen. And <laughs> it, it, it doesn't happen. It's it doesn't ha can it happen? Can it yeah, happen? Any, anything can happen, but I'm just I'm just speaking from this is just experience. Yeah, that's what I was kind of trying to say is that it's one of those things. I don't know if he contradicted himself, but it's one of those things that seems good on paper. Just honestly, people people spend the money they have. Like we as a community don't have the discipline. We should when it comes to money, right? So if uh, the average person they get an extra thousand dollars a month, let's say you know after tax and all that, they're going to spend eight hundred, nine hundred, maybe eleven hundred of that a thousand dollars. Unfortunately, because um, you know it's just basically lifestyle um, lifestyle creep or lifestyle inflation. I've seen this experience. Oh, it's just that it's the fact people become comfortable. So you you have somewhere to live. That's beneficial and that's needed. Yeah. And you usually it's just okay. I'm now I have this taken care of, and I'm gonna work enough, and it's gonna be enough to pay these bills. And it's a it's a recipe to just stay as a renter for your whole life. Let me just finish. Mm -hmm. it, you stay as a renter your whole life. Yeah. You'll never own anything, um, and you'll never move up the economic scale. I'm glad he pointed out because that's one of the things that I'm glad he touched on when it comes to like affordable housing or, you know, rent that's that's frozen where someone's like, hey, you know, my rent's frozen. So I get to stay in a, a $1,200 apartment in, uh, I don't know, Manhattan Beach where rent may be like $3,000, $4,000 on average. That's great. But yeah, that person never builds any wealth because like you said, they get comfortable paying $1,200 a month. Like, they don't try to increase their income and make more money to buy a home because they think they're losing something by losing that $1,200 a month apartment. But here's the thing, you can't pass down that apartment, right? And so, and so that's why generation of wealth is never built in some of these situations because people, like you said, get very comfortable comfortable where they are. This isn't just my own personal biased opinion. This is with things that I've seen. I've, I've witnessed this firsthand. Very rarely does people, do they move up the economic scale? They don't move up the economic scale. They just stay there and who is that ultimately benefiting business because they're getting government subsidies it's not like they're doing this out of their, their own good of their heart they're getting yeah. government subsidies mm -hmm. to have 10 percent of these luxury apartment buildings to have affordable units and to, and to build these and different things of that nature so yeah. there is a win for them and the government is just printing money they don't care um, so the only people that's, that they think that they're benefiting is the people that are in this, but it's really a, it's really a, a trap to keep people on this same type of government assistance treadmill yeah. that 
it never helps. Never, it doesn't help anybody. When you say you you've seen it firsthand, you're speaking of a specific time period. I'm speaking of this actual time period where people have access to more resources, access to more information, and are actually educating themselves. That we are actually seeing firsthand, right? Like we are seeing that it's the reason why we do this every Monday. It's the reason why we put out content every day. So people are more aware and have more information than they've ever had. That might be true for a time period, but there has to be optimism and saying like, yo, the work that we're actually doing. And that's why I said like the guy like Brandon is so important mm -hmm. to see it happening. I believe it, it can change. You no, know, I'm all for affordable. First, there was always information. There's different stages of information. At this, this level? This, let me finish. It's all relative, right? So there was like before there was no such thing as a library. Then there was a library. Then there was no such thing as a computer. Then you had access to the internet. Then there was no such thing. So there's always been access to information. There's never been as much information that's, that's readily available to you. Use it. But you could always change your life based off of information at any point in time. So why hasn't it happened? Pre that is a great question. So I'll leave you guys with it right there. Why haven't things changed? We have the information. Congrats to you and thank for you. Thanks to you for watching the video, uh, tapping in with the show and trying to educate yourself. But why do you think things have not changed despite the massive amount of resources we have now and still today? Uh, email me with your commentary. Drop a comment down below if you're watching on YouTube. And as always, by land, rumor has it, they're not making any more of it.